Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. I am Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing mighty fine. Excellent. It's been a great week. We've had ups and downs of the weather, but I think um, I think all in all, I'm, I'm happy we're getting closer to the holidays. Nothing like a 30 degree drop from one day to the you next. Know, yeah, yeah. keep you on your toes. It's, it's quite, North it's quite shocking. Yes, <laughs> it is shocking. Uh, well, Nicole, let's get into uh, one of our first topics at hand here, and we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, it is the holidays and some things that we may need to look out for when visiting family and loved ones during the holidays. And to do that, we've brought in Stacy So. She is the community liaison with Visiting Angels Living Assistance Services. Stacy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you here, Stacy. And I love this topic because uh, so many times I think, you know, when, when loved ones are starting to visit family members around the holidays, they suddenly walk into a situation where they've been on the phone with mom or dad and everything sounds great, right? Oh, I'm, everything's fine. Everything's wonderful. Right. And then suddenly when you get into that home around the holidays, when you're visiting with families, you start to think, oh my, something has changed. Something has changed. And what did I just walk into? Exactly. Exactly. So I think, you know, really helping people gear up and think about things before they make those visits is super important. I recently uh, talked a little bit about sort of like some of those flashbulb moments. And in, in holidays, Holidays are our great example. You know, we can really specifically remember what we did holiday time last year. And so when you compare and contrast how your loved one was feeling or how they were thinking a year ago, you can really notice a big difference, even when you're really close by their side. Sure, absolutely. And two, to touch on what you said, you know, you communicate with your loved ones via phone Mm -hmm. um, weekly, daily, and you might notice that mom's repeating things a little bit more, Mm -hmm. dad seems a little little bit more irritated Mm -hmm. and then once you hang up and resume your normal life you kind of just brush it off and and kind of forget about it Mm -hmm. and we do that for lots of reasons right you know we're all busy we're busy and it's and in some ways it's that feeling of dread oh no not that we don't love our loved ones obviously but it's like oh if I really recognize what's going on here this is going to mean this is going to mean a lot to have a (laughs) tough conversation definitely exactly so I think one of the things um, that family members definitely can look into is is just generally the environment of the home, correct? Oh, absolutely. Looking at the um, at the home environment, and um, if you notice things, if your loved one has been a stickler about paying bills on time, keeping their house neat and tidy, and mm-hmm. then you walk in and you see a a mound um, high full of full of bills that have been unpaid, and and their house is not dirty, laundry's piled up, and things like that. That might indicate that there is some kind of problem there that needs to be addressed. I also like to think about the refrigerator, right? Absolutely. Now, now I know. Now, if I, you know, my father is completely independent. I walk into his fridge today, I'll be scared because he does not believe about expiration dates of condiments and things of that nature. You know, I'll find mustard that probably expired three years ago. It's still fine, <laughs> uh, but. but 
on the flip side, I don't want him eating green meatloaf. Exactly. So if we're starting to see, you know, things that are out of the ordinary for their behavior, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. a big thing. And their environment. Yes. Why is mom still holding on to that um, brown fruit? Why is she holding on to that milk that expired two and a half weeks ago? So it is important to to walk around their environment and, and look at their former habits and see if any of that has changed. And weight loss, right? So, Absolutely. you know, it may be more difficult. Loved one may be a person who used to be able to get out to the grocery store once a week or once every couple of weeks. And if if the cupboards are bare and, and you're noticing that they're starting to lose, lose weight. Lose some weight. That's, yes, that's something that should not be dismissed because, um, you know, it can be taxing, um, mm-hmm. especially for an older adult if they've lost some energy to get out to that grocery store, like you mentioned, and even to prepare that meal. Um, so some other things may be involved that affects their taste mm-hmm. and their smell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just losing that ability to, to even prepare meals and, and clean up afterwards is taxing. And one of the things that comes up, up, up with meals uh, is really, you know, sometimes it just feels like a lot of effort if you're just one person living alone to Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. I don't like to do it if well, I'm yeah, by myself. I'm telling you what, I'll be the first one to grab a bowl of cereal. Absolutely. And so, but if you're doing that every day, three meals a day. Exactly. You're can, not getting the proper nutrients. Definitely. So, you know, one of the other key components of all of this is, you know, thinking about that, the social component of your loved one. You know, were they a person that got together and went to the knitting circle or did they go to the active adult center, the senior center? Did they, um, you know, go to their church services? Mm-hmm. And if they suddenly stop doing that and they start saying, oh, you know, I never liked the, that bunch of ninnies anyway. I never liked getting together with them. Really, think about that. There's a reason why. Um, it could be... Um, depression. Um, They no longer feel comfortable driving, Mm -hmm. um, which is another issue to look out for Mm -hmm. um, as well. Um, And and they just become socially withdrawn. They do. And I think especially when you're working with a loved one who has the beginnings of a cognitive impairment, uh, in the beginning, that person really does realize there's something a little bit Mm -hmm. off and there's something wrong. And they're just doing all that they can do because they're feeling so out of control just to maintain that feeling of control and the feeling like they can handle what's going on. And so they do start to self-isolate. And a lot of times families look at the situation and go, oh, well, you know, she's just getting so much older. Right. Right. Exactly. And and this is just normal. Normal. Of course, she's going to slow down. Of course, she's not going to want to go out anymore. But, you know, research shows that's really not normal. We are human beings, our social creatures. We're going. We want to get together. We need to be social. Yes. absolutely. And and I know in in a lot of situations, seniors become pros at masking yes. that cognitive decline mm-hmm. and and kind of um, brushing it off and 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 helping the family just brush it off and, and forget about it because again, they don't want to face that either. I was recently talking to a gentleman that at one point he was a caregiver for eight of his aging family caregivers at the same eight. time, eight, all the way ranging from ages of 70 to over 100. Oh my goodness. And he just, for whatever reason, ended up being that air traffic controller and was managing all this. And one of the things he told me was a lesson learned was if they call me, it's the sense of dread. Not that I don't want to help them. It's because I'm going to have to go and do a, a look-see. A look-see. Because... Again, that masking and that maintaining independence, they're, they're not going to necessarily tell you exactly what's going on so you know when that call comes. You really, right. If they're reaching out and making that call, chances are it's maybe a little bit more out of more control. More out of control, exactly. So that's why it's very important to assess the, the mental, physical, and environmental 
well-being of that older adult when you visit for the holidays. So another thing to look out for, I know, has to do with bruising and, and skin mm-hmm. tears, things people can't explain, correct? Exactly, exactly. And, and their mobility. It's important to pay attention how the individual, the senior, walks when um, when you visit. And if they've lost that gait or if there's pain when there's walking and things like that, that's something that definitely needs to be addressed so you could get the proper mobility aids in there and again if there's any pain um, in the in the legs that needs to be addressed um, as well. I remember just prior to caregiving for my grandfather one of the things that I noticed and it was just the smallest little thing really I mean you really had to be paying attention was how many times he had to push himself up to get out of a chair. Absolutely. I mean, and it got from, you know, before it would just be one slow push and then suddenly it was three or four three times or four. he'd have to sit back down and get back up. And then mm-hmm. I just started and I thought to myself, ooh, there, we, we have, there's a change here. This um, isn't normal for mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. And of course, you, you definitely want to monitor that, the ability to get in and up out of a, out of a chair. And again, they're, they're walking in mobility because they um, are at risk for falls, which mm-hmm. could be detrimental to an older adult. So another thing I think we should think about is, again, that physical environment having to do with, again, if that person's mobility has changed, chances are you are going to start to see them you'll be able to quickly figure out where they're spending their most time. Isn't it in that lazy boy in the family room? Because that's where you're going to start to see stacks and stacks of things all around them. them. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes a risk. It becomes a fall risk. Fall risk. Mm -hmm. You know, then they start leaning on those things that aren't really stable Mm -hmm. to get around to the next item. Um, And, you know, you could really get a sense of what the change is. You know, is there dust upstairs where there has never been? Right. Absolutely. Where the individual's no longer there. So talk to us a little bit about the whole driving piece. So the driving piece we all know is a touchy, touchy subject. So um, it's important to pay attention to the individual's vehicle, Mm -hmm. see if there's any unexplained dents Mm -hmm. or scratches. You know, we always, uh, we hear the story where there's a 90-year-old lady and she accidentally hits the accelerator instead of the brakes. That was my grandmother. And she went into the beauty shop. Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and could injure so yeah. many different people. Yep. So um, it's important to have the conversation about the driving. Um, also talk to the individual's physician mm-hmm. about that as well. Yes, and I definitely want to get into some of these difficult conversations because, you know, where do we go when we go there and we start to see these changes? And, you know, we're sitting there as the children in a lot of cases. And so it's a role reversal. So I definitely want to touch on that after the break. It's definitely a a hard conversation to have, but we're looking forward to hearing some tips on how to start the ball rolling with those conversations. We have Stacey Sokol in the studio here with us. She is with Visiting Angels, and we will continue our conversation right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guest in the studio is Stacy Sokol. She is the community liaison for Visiting Angels, and we're, we've been talking about warning signs to look for over the holidays with your loved ones. And now, Nicole, we want to get into, okay, we've seen something that uh, looks off that we're concerned about. 
well, how do we have a conversation about that? Yeah, and this is very touchy. Um, and and it's, it's touchy on many levels. It's touchy to work with that individual, with your family member or the spousal situation. But then it's also touchy to work with the siblings, right? Because not everybody may be on the same page. So my general rule of thumb is, you know, first, let's have a little family meeting without the parents, see if everybody's seeing and feeling the same thing. Would right. you agree? Absolutely. It's important to be on the same page. And we know that there's a lot of family dynamics involved. Mm-hmm. But the, um, the importance of the siblings being on the same page is going to make that conversation a little bit easier. Yeah, and I often hear, oh, you know, Nicole, you suggest to have these conversations around the holidays. How, how much more depressing can you get? But the reality of it is families are so scattered in, in the United States. I mean, you may have times when siblings are, this may be the only time yeah, they're together. Absolutely. And so I'm not saying do it over Christmas dinner mm-hmm. necessarily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, during a time when you're together, if you can possibly just start to have some of those conversations conversations about what everyone's been seeing when they've been having interactions with mom or dad. I think that's, you know, really, it couldn't be a better time. Exactly, exactly. And it's not something that needs to be solved immediately. It just depends on where the individual individual is. But again, it's always um, nice and helpful to have those types of conversations before a crisis actually occurs. Exactly. And I know, you know, and that's just the way we are in the U.S. And maybe that's just the way human beings are in general. You Mm -hmm. know, we just don't want to look at something until it's literally smack Smack right there in our face. Right in our face. Absolutely. And again, Um, When you're having a conversation or initiating a conversation with an older adult, it's important to take in their feelings Mm -hmm. into consideration because they are faced with the realization that they can no longer perform maybe some of the daily activities um, that they used to be able to do. And they know. Yes, I they mean, do. They do. I mean, I, you know, we're talking unless we're talking about somebody we're walking in with a very severe cognitive impairment, which right. odds are someone would have noticed something way before way then. Before then, they know that there's something wrong, so they're doing their best for their own dignity and their own respect and their own sense of just oneness mm-hmm. to, to, to manage that. And and they know that they're failing at it, right? So we really need to walk into this situation with an understanding and true empathy of what that person is going Absolutely. through, because. You know, they're just scared. And one of the things that, you know, if you think about the, the population that's aging today, the way, the picture of long-term care or community-based care was very different when their parents were aging. Mm-hmm. And so we have so many more resources, especially if you yes. live in a metropolitan area like this area, that can possibly go into the home to help them age in place longer. longer. But people just have that picture of, and, and, and nothing against nursing homes, but they just assume, oh, no, you're not going to put me in one of those places. Right. And they don't realize that if they just ask for a little bit of help, bringing in a company like Visiting Angels, which we're going to talk a little bit about, like a private duty and home care company, bringing in some home health services, um, you know, bringing in some, you know, even if it's, you know, bringing in a um, an organizer to help kind of go through some go of the clutter in the home, mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe moving from one type of a home to another into independent living, there are options out there that aren't as scary as perhaps what that person what is that visualizing. Person perceives. Right. Definitely. So I think, you know, that is is something that we do need to think about, because just imagine today, Stacey, if I were to say to you, I just don't think you should drive anymore. You just can't do it. And I mean, how would that change your world? That would completely change my world. So definitely. And it'd be something scary. Yes. Um, I don't know how I'd get from point A to point B, go Mm -hmm. grocery shopping, participate in activities Mm -hmm. that I enjoy doing. 
Right. So it's, and you'd be, I'm sure you'd be angry and, mm-hmm. and the whole thing. So we just have to really, I think, sometimes put ourselves in that situation. And then, of course, I have never met a functional family to this day, right? None of our family. I mean, <laughs> mine included. Right. We all have you know, skeletons in our closets and all that. So then on top of it all, you know, we're trying to inter- interact in a very sensitive topic with our loved ones with all of the baggage that we all carry. And one of the issues I know that often comes up for siblings is people kind of fall back in the roles that they had as the children. As the children. So, <laughs> so that can be tricky when you're now That's trying true. to be the responsible one and, and trying to explain to mom or dad, you know, geez, we need to really look at, at bringing in in-home care. We need to look at how do we make your home more accessible more. to you. Mm-hmm. So that's really hard. So what are some other tips that you have about having that conversation? Um, I think it's just important just to be open and honest and have a heart-to-heart. Um, express your concerns, um, but also listen to your loved one's concern. Again, um, the, the drive peace and 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 know that there's going to be some anger um, about that and, and a sense of, of loss for that older adult and to take all of those things into consideration. I think too, you know, sometimes just depending on that family unit, bringing in some outside help to help with these conversations. Absolutely, absolutely. Powerful. A geriatric case manager, yes. um, someone um, from the church, just an outsider, mm-hmm. and that may be better received mm-hmm. than coming from the adult. Children. It can diffuse the situation, and I also believe, um, and I have I have advised families to do this on numerous occasions. You know, we still it may not be the case with the baby boomers, but the, this older population really tends to not question their physicians as much. as much. And so, you know, if you can have a side door conversation with that family care physician mm-hmm. and, and and really talk to them about the things that you're seeing at home, but you really do need to come up with a list of examples. Of you examples. just can't say, oh, I think mom, you really right. need to say, this is what I'm seeing and come up with a list and, and really help that physician understand what's mm-hmm. going on. And then sometimes they can really work hard to broach that conversation with the loved one and help them understand. understand we it. need to put some things into place right. for sure. Right. So, um, so talk to us a little bit about Visiting Angels. You are a private duty in-home care company. We are. Um, Visiting Angels has been proudly serving Wake County for almost 20 years. Wow. Congratulations. Um, so, yeah, thanks. That's a, um, that's a big accomplishment. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so we provide non-medical home care. We, Which is a tricky word. What does it that is, mean? It is a tricky <laughs> word. Absolutely. And people get home care, home health yeah. confused. So with the home care piece, um, our caregivers can come in and provide assistance with personal care needs, your bathing, mm-hmm. dressing, grooming. They can provide assistance with mobility and walking and things like that. But they also do some light housekeeping, meal preparation, transportation, and errand running. So again, the caregivers can be the eyes and ears of those family members who are caregiving at a distance. So these, so these caregivers come into the home for an amount of time. So this is different than um, home health, for home example. Health. So this is not something that what we call episodic. This is something where we're working on a person to sort of maintain, maintain their that, independence. Correct. correct, correct. And so this is a this is a service that is typically paid for privately, which also comes to a surprise. I know, you know, if you're facing a caregiving journey with your loved one and you're listening, you're going to be very surprised if you aren't already with how many things are actually paid for out of your own personal 
personal pocket. Absolutely. And for the most part, this is one of those things. Absolutely, it is. Or if the individual were to have a long-term care insurance Mm -hmm. policy, um, that covers the cost of this care as well. But um, typically, the home care rates are going to range anywhere from $22 to $25 an hour. Mm -hmm. And a lot of agencies, Visiting Angels being one of them, have um, a minimum number of hours that they would like the caregiver to remain in the home. Mm -hmm. And that's and that's frankly because it just you know if you think about the the, the quality of life of that of that caregiver you know Absolutely. they need to be able to not have to go not to twenty different to go houses, to 20 different houses yes. <laughs> yeah. to make it make it more efficient. So talk to us a little bit about so you talked to us about generally, you know, the bathing, the dressing, the grooming, but what is, you know, what's an impact that you've seen an in home care company provide on a family that you've worked with in the past? I think, um, well, one, it helps the individual remain in their home Mm -hmm. um, a longer period of time. Um, I always tell people when individuals are faced of giving up their independence that we're here to help maintain it and encourage it, but not take it away. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've had clients that have been with us for eight plus years Mm -hmm. um, that we're still working with. And again, they're still able to remain in their home. And I know for a lot of the seniors out there, sometimes they just need a little bit of help. Just it's, a little bit. It's just bit. a little bit of, you know, medication reminders or assistance with a bath so they don't fall in the shower. Absolutely. Or, you know, again, doing that meal preparation and, and assistance with, um, you know, grocery shopping. But that companionship, let's not forget how important, how that, important is. that is. If they are isolated and truly alone, how much that bond that is created between that professional caregiver and that and individual, the, mm-hmm. for sure. So talk to us about how folks can get a hold of you if they want more information. Um, if you'd like more information, you can give us a call at area code 919-787-4317. That is 919-787-4317. Stacy Sokol, Community Liaison with Visiting Angels. Thank you so much for coming in this evening. Thanks for having me. we got to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your hosts, Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, this is Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. I am Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, and we thank you for joining us this evening. Nicole, we're going to narrow our focus in. We were talking a little bit about conversations earlier, and now we're going to be talking about uh, more direct conversations when it comes to a life-limiting illness. And, you know, we, we like to use euphemisms, I think, because we're, we're typically scared to talk about death and what that may mean. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've brought in uh, someone here who can help us uh, be more comfortable in these situations and know some questions to ask and some things to uh, be prepared for when having a, a difficult conversation. And we've brought in Dr. Christopher Thompson. He is the hospice and palliative care physician with Transitions Life Care. One of our own, Dr. Thompson. Thank you so much for coming in this evening. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And I don't think he'll want us to um, necessarily say this, but he does have a pretty amazing designation that he's been recently given. I wasn't going to embarrass him right off the bat. <laughs> well, Nicole, you know, I'm all about embarrassing right it. from the beginning. Yeah, Dr. Thompson has uh, just received an, uh, a very distinguished honor, his designation of Fellow of the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. This is uh, the highest honor that can be bestowed upon a, a physician. Dr. Thompson, congratulations. That's it's amazing. great to see uh, another uh, uh, award and recognition for the folks at Transitions Life Care. 
thank you. It was a big accomplishment for me. That's amazing. Congratulations. So, okay. So, yes, we definitely... Um, in our work, uh, have to have a lot of difficult conversation, and you in particular, for sure. Um, I, w- I was wondering, you know, how do we really go about having these conversations with individuals who do have those life-limiting li- illnesses, and, um, you know, what, what can people expect? Sure. It's really difficult. Anytime families um, are receiving bad news about a diagnosis that themselves or a loved one, you know, is, is about to get or has recently received. Anytime we, we hear the word cancer, anytime we, we see um, dementia getting into the advanced stages mm-hmm. or any of our um, illnesses, congestive heart failure, COPD, uh, many of those diseases, as you talk to your primary care doctor or as you talk to your specialists, I don't think they understand the gravity of what those diseases are and what their prognosis is mm-hmm. uh, as they, they move forward in life. I think those specialists uh, need to be honest with the patient and the families. I think the families need to be open to having a conversation about what these life-limiting diseases are, especially when it comes to prognosis and dealing with you know, the D word, mm-hmm. that's death and dying. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it's important for them to have those conversations early on in the disease process. And that way they'll able to kind of plan. Yeah. I mean, because if we don't have that conversation, it could be more of a surprise. And, and it's almost like you had time stolen away from you. You were going to die no matter what. But if you weren't given that time, you really can't kind of tie up some of those loose ends. That's right. So as, as you know, we, we get that disease mm-hmm. and these diseases, many of them are not curable. Mm-hmm. And to really be upfront when you get, you know, early on uh, in your disease process, um, one, using, you know, the advances in, in, in medicine that we have to slow the disease process down, but also to be prepared for as those disease continues to progress. And the more time we can give to those patients and mm-hmm. to those families allows them to do, you know, many things. And, and to have these difficult conversations is not to give up hope, mm-hmm. not to stop caring or stop treating, uh, but to maybe focus in on different things, such as, you know, talking about, you know, the legacy you're leaving behind, mm-hmm. about getting things prepared, you know, as far as... Um, your financial situation, your mm-hmm. social situation, you know, allowing uh, families to name a healthcare power of attorney, to let them know what their goals of care are, um, and sometimes do some fun things like the bucket list to take yeah. that cruise or take that last trip. Definitely. So I know, you know, one of the challenges in being in this area, I suspect, is that it is such a major medical, mm-hmm. academic medical area. And so I have seen time and time again where people get onto that sort of merry-go-round of, mm-hmm. of medical treatment. And it's just one more trial after one more trial after one more trial. And um, it's, it, it seems like a lot of times nobody has that conversation with that loved one that, you know, you just aren't going it's, it, this probably isn't going to change the trajectory of your life. And a matter of fact, you know, the, the, the last several months of your life may look very different if, if you had not done some of these things. And so, you know, how do we kind of get around some of that in this area? Because I think people just really do get sucked into the things that they read or see because everyone wants that hope. 
So one of the biggest things that we need to have with our patients and our family is a goals of care conversation. Mm -hmm. Really sit them down, educate them about their disease, about their disease process, about their prognosis, about the treatment options. What are the goals of those treatment options? Mm -hmm. Is it curative? Mm -hmm. Is it palliative? You know, is it to, to slow the progression down? And more importantly, what are the side effects of the treatment? And when you say palliative... Sure, that's a, big, a big word, word yeah. that many people don't understand and, and things like that too. So palliative is treating a disease to better alleviate symptoms, mm -hmm. things like pain, you know, trouble breathing, shortness of breath, um, nausea is a big thing, you know, neuropathy. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have these symptoms that arise when we have a chronic illness and chronic disease. And a palliative care team, a palliative care physician, palliative care providers um, are really the experts in managing those symptoms. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, some of them are disease-targeted treatments, uh, but many of them are just kind of uh, allowing, you know, that patient to, to, to live, you know, maybe with a little less pain. Right. Uh, and to maybe help with the functional status, you know, of that patient and to do things, you know, to improve quality of life. Maybe not quantity of life, but quality of life. Right, right. Okay. So we talked a little bit about sort of those, those discussions around uh, goals of care. One of the things that I often talk to families about when they're you know, starting to notice that their loved one's sort of taking that decline, it's hard for them to sometimes try to figure out, well, what would mom actually want? You know, I might be mm. named the healthcare power of attorney, but I'm still not 100% sure what, what mom would want. And so would you recommend a good strategy maybe if there is another loved one that has recently passed that everyone sort of observed the situation to say, you know, gee, you know, Aunt Sally, you know, this is kind of what happened with Aunt Sally as she got closer to death. What did you think about that? You know, how do you know, would you want something like that? You know, because sometimes people get really nervous about the spotlight being on them. But if they're talking about a different situation, it may provide some insight. It's always great to when we first have that conversation to talk about, have, have you known anybody in this situation mm -hmm. uh, to get their feel of, of what that would be like. Also, what we, you know, tell families too is, is if that loved one was able to kind of stand here with us and, and talk about what they're seeing, how would they want their care to go? Mm -hmm. And that's really important because no family member wants to see a loved one die. Right. Um, but sometimes we have to look at what the goals of that patient were. And it may not be what you would want for yourself, Correct. which is good. It gets to be a little bit tricky there. And that's why it's important to talk to your loved ones. And that mm -hmm. is a very difficult conversation mm -hmm. to have. It's a very difficult conversation to start. But many families, after they have that conversation, feel very relieved because mm -hmm. it takes away those questions that they may have. Mm -hmm. But also you can get really into the, the meaning of that patient and how they really look at their life mm -hmm. uh, and and where they were from and what they were doing and, and talking about things like, you know, do you want to be buried? Do you want to be cremated? Mm -hmm. You know, things like that, too, are really important for those people that have an illness to, to talk about and to discuss. Uh, and those are the conversations that you're going to have. And, and many times you learn a lot about your loved one that you didn't know mm -hmm. as you have that conversation. And again, it's all about preparing because... Mm -hmm having these conversations before you're in that crisis end point time when it is incredibly emotional. You know, you have your whole family around mm -hmm. you. It's better to know what that person wants before you have to actually put mm -hmm. those things into place. Right. It also gives you some time to think about it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not making it in a crisis situation. Right. You have some time to, well, let me think about that. 
let me, you know, talk to some other folks about that. And, and that way you can also talk to your other providers and mm-hmm. things like that too, to really understand what's happening and what's going on and what's going to be best for you. Yeah, just winging it in those situations probably isn't the best route to go. A little preparation goes a long way. We've got Dr. Christopher Thompson in the studio. He is the hospice and palliative care physician with Transitions Life Care. And we're going to continue our conversation right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. In the studio, we have Dr. Christopher Thompson. He is the hospice and palliative care physician with Transitions Life Care. And we're talking about, well, how to talk about death and how to have these difficult conversations, Nicole. And, you know, we've sort of broached the subject of um, maybe how to get the ball rolling with these conversations. But, you know, we also talked about how important this is for everyone to be on the same page and to know exactly what we're dealing with. Well, and using the words, right? Right. We so, I mean, in so many difficult topics, we skirt around the words all of the time. And just because of our own personal discomfort level, I suspect, and maybe we're not sure how that other person's going to react. But I, I, and and I'm going to defer to Dr. Thompson here on this, but I think most people have a sense of what their internal clock is telling them. And they have a sense of the direction that things are going. Many times if you talk to our patients directly, again, they feel that them, their body's getting weaker, mm-hmm. they're not able to do the things that they used to be able to do. Uh, we talked about how patients can hide that very well mm-hmm. and, and hide that from family members. Uh, but it's important uh, as we start to notice those things and as you talk to your you know, uh, primary care physicians and, and, and the folks that are taking care of you and your providers, uh, as we start to see those changes, you know, to be familiar with what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it takes a, a trained provider to recognize that. That's why it's important to have these conversations, you know, with your, your providers and your, with your physicians to understand what the course of that disease looks like. Mm-hmm. And as you start to uh, progress in your disease, uh, be prepared for um, what the end may look like. And that is using terms like death and dying uh, is important so that they can, you know, plan ahead and decide how they want that to look. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk about the, the scary, you know, H word, and that's hospice. Yes. Everyone backs up 10 feet when you say that word. Exactly. And, and, and sometimes when I'm, you know, seeing a patient uh, and we talk about hospice again, they just kind of shut off and they hide and, and they don't want to hear that term because they think hospice equals death. Mm-hmm. And in a way it does, you know, to have a life-limiting illness, and to have a illness that more than likely will, will end your life. Um, it's important to have that conversation and, and get that education about hospice. Uh, hospice is a service that can be provided uh, to patients that have a life-limiting illness. Not just cancer, which is Not just cancer. a misnomer. Correct. So again, heart failure, um, COPD, uh, liver failure, um, 
dementia, kidney diseases, all that. Yep, yeah. All those. So, you know, really any disease that may be life limiting to that patient would qualify uh, for hospice. And there are, you know, many, you know, providers out there that, that know um, the criteria for hospice, but there's, that's why hospice agencies exist, mm-hmm. you know, to have those consults for us to go in and evaluate those patients and to, you know, look at, you know, past medical history and, and where they are and, and their course of their disease and to determine if they're hospice eligible. And, and once that is the case, then to uh, have hospice services uh, is it's a team of folks. It's not just a, a physician, but it's doctors and nurses and social workers and chaplain support and volunteers. And it's a, it's a whole um, interdisciplinary team mm-hmm. uh, to go out and care for not just the patient, but the families as well. Mm-hmm. And to continue to guide these patients and, and these families, you know, through the end stages of the disease. So why do you think it's so hard for so many physicians to tell somebody that they're dying? Mm-hmm. It's important. So many of the specialists and things like that too, you know, their, their goal is, is, you know, to, to help these patients to, to sometimes find a cure uh, and to not give up hope, you know, for these, for these patients. And I think that is, is sometimes difficult uh, for them to have these, these hard conversations with families and patients that they've had a very long relationship, you know, with. Um, but when they start to see these changes and they need to be able to recognize that, I think they need to call in, you know, the palliative care team or the hospice team, you know, to continue the education process um, to these families to, to um, address the goals of care, you know, to determine, you know, is, you know, the current care plan within our our, our our goals and is this something we want to continue because there are other other options mm-hmm. you know that we can have as we move forward you know in the course of our disease and I think that's important for you know the families to talk with their you know providers about again what their prognosis is you know what they think their life expectancy is what the side effects of treatments uh, will be uh, so that they can help make those choices which is best for them mm-hmm. and sometimes it is continuing you know, that aggressive care and aggressive therapies. But other times patients say, I would, you know, this is becoming a burden on me and this Mm -hmm. is something that I don't want. Well, I can even speak to my husband's dad when he was dying. um, You know, the the doctor said, well, you know, we could do all the following things Mm -hmm. to keep you going for Mm -hmm. the next six months. And somebody had the wherewithal to actually say, well, what does keep it going look like? And then when they described what mm-hmm. to keep it going look like for this individual person with this individual disease, nausea, vomiting, not being so weak you can't even get out of bed, but you're gonna live six months longer, then that person went, oh, and they could make a more informed decision. And I think sometimes we're just so afraid of telling people kind of what the two the, the roads are. And I mean, there may be six different roads, but sure. it just in this situation, these two paths, yes, you'll live six months longer here, mm-hmm. but this is what this looks like. Or you may live three more months, but this is what this looks like. People, you know, they need to be given that opportunity, I feel like. And I feel like sometimes we just try to hide so much from folks. Right. And, and when we talk about these roads and these paths and these detours, it's very challenging, you know, to give an explanation of what's going to happen. What, what the future holds. Right. Because none of us have a crystal ball. Right. We don't know. 
So really the job of a, of a palliative care doctor and even a hospice doctor is to walk that road with that family, with that patient. And as you hit bumps in the road and as you move forward, you're able to make those choices of, do I want to, you know, continue treatment? Do I want to have more of a comfort care focused mm-hmm. approach uh, to my care? So I think that's really important. We talk a lot about these, you know, you mentioned kind of where we are, you know, in the medical triangle. Mm-hmm. We make dying very complicated yeah. these days, you know, where there is always something else we can do. So when that family walks up to that doctor and say, you know, oh, doc, is there anything else that we can do? Yeah. Well, there is. Yeah. You know, there, there's these clinical trials and there's different medications and there's different studies and, and things like that, too, that are out there and that are always possible. But again, what are our goals of, you know, that next treatment or that next therapy? And when's enough enough? And when is enough enough? And the only one that can really determine that is the patient. Mm -hmm. And the only way we can really find that out is to talk about it and to ask them and to explain and to educate them so they can make those choices. And again, that uh, means walking this path, walking this journey with them uh, so that they can make the right choices, you know, based upon, you know, what their goals are, what their families um, goals are. And many times when we have that conversation, again, earlier the better, mm-hmm. uh, usually at time of diagnosis, uh, as we approach those decisions, many times they're already made. So for those listening where this topic may have resonated, you know, they may be sitting there thinking about a loved one that may mm-hmm. feel like this is, this is a, perhaps a, a potential path, either for palliative medicine or hospice. How do folks go ahead and get signed up? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, you know, hospice can be a referral from your primary care doctor mm-hmm. or from your specialist. Uh, even families can make kind of self-referrals. Mm-hmm. You know, they can call into the office and, and, and ask for, you know, an education visit and uh, allow um, one of our li- liaisons to go out there and, and discuss that with the patient, with the family. Uh, there's many services out there that can kind of, you know, lead into that. There's, there's websites and other things that can help, you know, direct that information. But many times it's a conversation with your primary care, you know, doctor mm-hmm. that makes the referral, you know, into the palliative care and hospice agencies for us to go out there and determine what level of care that they qualify for. And hospice is covered under the Medicare benefit or your private insurance is typically, and I know palliative care, it's partially Medicare and partially a bit of a copay, correct? Sure. And, and that's going to be um, based upon your insurance right. and, and based upon the individual, uh, but you'll be able to have that information, you know, ahead of time. Uh, and that's what they'll talk to you about before setting up a meeting. Uh, many of our patients we see in the hospital before discharge, and, and that will be kind of discussed um, uh, through that process. And, and we have a whole business office and things like that, too, that sure. help us with that. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Dr. Christopher Thompson, hospice and palliative care physician with Transitions Life Care. Thank you so much for coming in this evening. We appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Also want to, again, congratulate you on receiving your designation as Fellow of the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. This, of course, is the highest honor that can be bestowed upon a physician member. Just a tremendous accomplishment for Dr. Thompson and for Transitions Life Care. We are out of time for this evening. I want to remind you that you can find this episode as well as past episodes online at WPTF.com. Just click on the podcast button and head over to the Aging Matters section. You can also find plenty of resources 
at transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. That is the website. We hope you'll join us again next Saturday evening at 7 for Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a wonderful night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.